The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God was ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like dust, like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at, at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. God, we come to you just... Acknowledging your presence here, Lord, in this place. We thank you that you allow this moment to happen and for us to be together, to know more about you, to know more about ourselves, our relationship to you, and to understand your words. Um, Father, we um, offer this day to you. We offer this meeting to you. Um, Be with Randall um, so that whatever he will say and whatever he will do may be to glorify you, Lord. And open our hearts and our minds as we receive your word today. May it um, teach us, convict us, challenge us, encourage us. And may we feel loved and accepted through your word. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, eh? All right, good morning. So, um... If this is the first time you've been here, my name is Randall. I would love to meet you. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace City. And um, as Brooke was giving all of those announcements, that's a lot of stuff, right? So again, if you're absorbing all of this, your first time here, um, this is new for us. Uh, We're in this season right now where we're with First Baptist exploring if this is what God is doing. And and here's the thing. This is all open-handed. This is all open-handed in the sense that um, they are going to have to make a vote, And also, we're going to survey you guys. 
We need to see if this is something that we need to venture into together, and this is, this is God doing this. And so I, I want you to be engaged in the process is what I'm saying. I need you to be engaged in the process. So last week we had our first Better Together night. We're having another one tonight. We'd love for you to come out, 5 o'clock, and um, we're just praying, right? Just as, as Brooke was talking about, we are a church that's built on prayer. And um, over the time that we've been here, that's where we started praying God is this what you want us to do is this where you're leading us and so we need you to be engaged in that process and uh, and we're excited about the possibilities of what God can do through this for our city what that could mean for our community Um, so that's a lot but tonight better together night asking you to be a part of this okay Uh, so right now we are in this series and we started at the beginning of the year going through the book of Genesis and what we entitled it is the gospel in Genesis. See, many times what we think is that the gospel is only in the New Testament, right? Jesus enters into the story in the New Testament. So, well, Jesus is the gospel. And so, of course, he's, he's here in the New Testament, but, but he's also in the Old Testament. See, this book is all about God. God is the hero of this story. And so what we see is that Jesus is actually all throughout Scripture. And we're looking particularly right now in the life of Jacob. So we've ventured through. And so if you've missed any of those, you can go listen to the podcasts. But we are all the way in Genesis 28 today. We're looking at verses 10 through 22. And the message is this, a vision of God, a vision of God. So for three weeks, we're looking at life-changing moments in the life of Jacob. And last week, we looked at his family relationships. And what we saw was that his family relationships were pretty dysfunctional. But God is a God of grace, and he meets him in the midst of his mess. And so this week, we're going to look at the first encounter that Jacob has with God, and also next week, the second encounter he has with God. But both of these radically define his life. They change his life. And so what happened to Jacob since the last time that we left off as we looked at Genesis 27? Well, just a little recap. So Jacob and Esau are born to Isaac and Rebekah. They're twins. Esau's born first. Jacob's born second. And so what that comes with is this burden of, of really carrying the, the blessing of being the firstborn. So naturally it would have gone to Esau, but what we see is that God says in Genesis 25 that it's going to go to Jacob instead of Esau. So what happens is there's this strange family di- dynamic that unfolds of really who is going to be the, the one who is blessed as the firstborn. So... Genesis 27 rolls around and uh, Jacob and his mother Rebekah put together this plan to deceive Isaac to give Jacob the firstborn blessing instead of Esau. Now what we find is that Isaac and Esau weren't innocent because they were plotting another plan that Isaac would give the blessing to Esau because what we saw is that Isaac understood and knew that God had said it was going to go to Jacob, but really in his heart, he believed it was going to be Esau. And so he's fighting for his way. He was going to make it Esau, but he's deceived by Rebekah and Jacob, and Jacob receives the blessing. And, and what we see is that when it was all said and done, 
Isaac's blessed. Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau, and, and it technically it, it worked, right? It worked. But, but what we have to see is that there is a fallout to that type of behavior. There's a fallout to sinful, self-willed behavior. Because what happens is this. Next, Jacob loses everything. He loses everything. You know, my wife last week, she, I asked her, I said, what did you think of the message? You know, I was excited to give it. Like, what did you think of the message? She says, I don't get it. I don't get it. So does that mean that you can force your way to get what you want and God will bless it? I said, man, I didn't explain it well then. Because that, the answer is this. No. No. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, it's working out perfectly. The plan is working. But the answer is no. You see, because here's what happens. There's always results for sin. Sin of the family. All parties involved. Here's what it caused. It caused major hurts, pains, wounds, repercussions. Essentially, Rebecca, who, who it says loved Jacob, never saw him alive again. She never saw him. He had to, he had to run away because Esau was going to kill him. But here's the hope of the gospel. Despite all of this, despite the mess, despite the sin, God is still at work. Now, did God cause the sin? No. It was the decisions of the people. But can God still work even through sinful people? The answer is yes. See, remember, God is always the hero of the story. And he is working through messy people. For Jacob commentator Ian DeGid writes this. He says, as a result of his trickery, his life was in danger. He had to flee from his home. His sin had come home to roost. He grew up understanding how to lie and cheat and deceive. Unlearning them would prove to be far more difficult. It would take long years in the wilderness before Jacob was ready for his place in God's program. And even then, the scars of his past would never disappear. Right? There's always a result to sin. It causes wounds and pains. And we see it in, life, in the life of Jacob. But here's the thing. Brennan Manning says this. He says, To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. And so, like, what is this whole story trying to tell us? As, as God is coming to meet Jacob for the first time, it's this, that Jacob needs to understand who he really is. And he needs to understand what God's grace means for his life. That he needs it. That he needs it. And so, in summary, Jacob has messed up his life Right? He comes from a, a family that's dysfunctional. But here's the beauty of it. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Right? It's the reason why some of you are here today. You say, well, I come from this background and this is what my life was like. But here's the beauty of the gospel. It's not the end of the story. 
that there's a God who we can encounter who changes our stories. You see, our God is a God of grace who meets us in the mess. And here's the good news. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. God's plan ultimately works out for his glory in the end. Romans 8, 28, which many times we, we take out of context, we snag it, we say, well, this is just one of those verses that I'm just going to take and use it for my own glory. Here's the thing. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the thing. There's two parts to that. First, all things work together for good for those who love him, right? He's working it out. But also, it's working out to his purpose. Like I said, God's got a plan. And no man can come against that. God's in charge. And so what does this text tell us about what we need more than anything when our lives are just messed up? Right? We're feeling like Jacob. Our lives are just messed up. Here's what we need. A vision of God. A vision of God. We need to see God for who he truly is. High and lifted up, king of glory, God. And so how does this vision of God come to Jacob? Well, we need to see three parts to it. And it's all through today's text. And so we're going to break this down. Uh, The first part to it is the spiritual darkness. The second part is the stairway. And the third part is the promise. The spiritual darkness, the stairway, The promise. So the first point is the spiritual darkness. Look at verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. What is this text telling us here? Well, first, in, in, it's telling us in many ways the spiritual state of Jacob. It's telling us his spiritual state. He's lost everything. He's out on his own. He's gotten that blessing that he was looking for his whole life, but he did it in a way that wasn't honoring to God. And really, he's in no way in a position to actually live out That blessing, here's the thing with Jacob. He's at a spiritual dead end on his own effort. On his own ability, he is at a spiritual dead end. He lied, he deceived his whole life. Now it's left him with nothing. The spiritual reality is very dark for Jacob. And the writer of Genesis is trying to tell us this. Look at verse 11. It says, the sun had set. Now, in its literary form, the book of Genesis is is filled with symbols and poetry to help us to get the full story. It paints a picture for us. And, And that's what's happening here. See, the sky is mentioned throughout the story of Jacob, and it's very important. Um, Again, Ian DeGid says this. He says, the setting of the sun was not merely an incidental detail in the story. This detail vividly depicts Jacob's situation. Night had caught up with him. The sun would not rise for him from the perspective of the narrative until Genesis 32. 
Right, so for him right now, this is his first encounter with God. But like I said, there's another encounter with God that we're going to talk about next week. But there's a spiritual darkness that's come over his life. And this is reinforced by the second part of verse 11. Look here, it says, Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So we see is there's a spiritual darkness, but there, there's a second part. Who uses a stone for a pillow? <laughs> right, like who, who uses a stone for a pillow? Like for me, I'm 36, and I need like one of those, I, I had to transition to one of those like really comfortable pillows where you had like, okay, I had, to, I had to read the reviews on it, all that stuff. Like I didn't have to do that stuff before, but the older I get, the more I realize pillows are really important, okay? <laughs> They're really important. And, and so when you see Jacob here, Using a stone as a pillow, what is this telling us? That's the only thing he had for a pillow. He didn't have anything else. He had nothing. So he's being sent out into the world, right? And we said last week, like he was blessed. The blessing came. But what did this blessing look like? He's blessed. He's sent out. He did it his way. But he's left with a stone for a pillow. Right, God had to bring him to his very lowest where he lost everything. But again, just like Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Right? Blessed are you when you're hated. Blessed are you when you are put in these positions of difficulty. And so Jacob's going to find out he's more blessed than he realizes. But he's running out there. Spiritual darkness has covered his life. And he's hit rock bottom. He's hit rock bottom. On his own effort, on his own ability, he's got nothing. But then we get the second part, the, the stairway. Look at verses 12 through 13. So he falls asleep and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And so what was this dream? About, right? He, go, he, he starts to fall asleep. He starts to dream. What is it about? Well, there's two parts. The first one is this. Look at verse 12. It says, There was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached the heaven. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Genesis chapter 11. And we talked about the Tower of Babel. And you remember what, what was happening with the Tower of Babel? They were building this tower to, to reach the heavens. And really, it was translated to be the gate of heaven that they were trying to build their way to God. But essentially, they were, they were trying to lift themselves up to be God. And so they were building and building and building. And, 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 and what we see here is now, it, 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 literally, it's the reverse Babel. It's the reverse Babel. In this dream, okay, so Robert Alter, who's, who's a Hebrew scholar, he says this, the Hebrew term for ladder occurs here, only here. There is an uh, etymology he says, the etymology is doubtful. The, the traditional rendering of ladder is unlikely. He says, the structure and vision is probably a vast ramp with terrace landings. Okay, so what, what we know is Jacob's ladder, again, they, they have trouble trying to translate this, but in many ways, what it is, it's this, it's this ramp with terrace, terraces. It, it, 
it is the envisioning of what people in Genesis chapter 11 were trying to build. But instead of that ending and them trying to do it, this one is real. It's true. It, it happened. And the builder is God. See, th- th- this is really important for us. Instead of man building his way to God, trying to lift himself up to get to God, which every other religion in the world is based on, other than Christianity, it is that God has built his way down to us. This is extremely important because this is what Christianity is. It's not that we got our way to God, but God came down to us. And look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now there's two things happening here. We see the the angels, it says, that are ascending and descending. And so the angels are on errands doing things for God. But secondly, we see that the Lord is standing here. And and this is important. Another commentary, and this is, we got to get this. Another commentator, Gordon Wenham, says this. He says, The majority of modern commentaries prefer to translate God standing over him. God is now dealing with Jacob personally with all the work of heaven stirring around them. So here's the thing. When he says, like, the Lord is standing above it, what's he talking about? What's this this text talking about? That as all the work of heaven is going on, the Lord is standing above Jacob. Jacob! Jacob! Out of all the people, out of all the work that God's doing throughout the world, the Lord is standing above Jacob. Right, let's do some research on Jacob. Again, messed up his life, liar, cheater, Jacob. The Lord comes to Jacob? Again, this story is the reverse Babel. In the story of Babel, the Tower of Babel, humanity attempted to build their way to God. In Genesis 28, we see that God has built his way to us to be with us. And this is important. He's come to the lowest of the low, Jacob, who's hit rock bottom. That's the gospel, friends. This is the gospel. Spiritually, when you understand that you are at a dead end, that I can't build my way to God, that I can't get there on my own efforts. It's in that place that we see the only hope is that God comes to us, that God pursues us, like God pursued Jacob. He pursued Jacob. The stairway is really important. The the last one is the promise. Uh, Look at verses 13 through 18. It says, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, gate of heaven. Takes us back to the, the story of Babel. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. You see, ultimately, here's the thing. What were the builders of Babel looking for? They were looking for a promise. You know what the promise was? The promise of safety and significance. Safety and significance. Back in Genesis 11, verse 5, here's what it says. As they were building the Tower of Babel, they said, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Lest we be dispersed, right? Because if they were dispersed, they'd be more vulnerable. They'd be more vulnerable. But God comes to someone who's lost his family, who's lost everything, and says, I'm your safety. I'm your safety. What did they want? The, the people who were building Babel, verse 6, they wanted this. It says, and let's, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. But God looks at Jacob and says, I'm with you. I'll keep you wherever you go. Your significance is found in me. Not in yourself, not in your name, not in your ability. See, what is it that God promises undeserving Jacob? Security, safety, significance. Look look at what he says to him. He says, I'm... Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God's coming to Jacob, a broken man, and says, I'm with you. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. Completely undeserved. See, here's the thing. I'm sure Jacob heard about God his whole life. Right? He'd heard about God. But do you see his response? He just, he doesn't know how to respond. He just gets really excited and he says, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make all these sacrifices. I'm gonna do all these things for you, God. I'm gonna take this stone, right? The stone that he was just sleeping on. I'm gonna pour some oil over. I'm gonna, this is a blessed place. Like God is here. Is it just that place that God was there? No. He'd been with him the whole time. But, but what do we find? That, that Jacob had probably been, just been ignoring him the whole time. He'd been ignoring him. And in this moment, God comes to him and says, I'm real. I'm here. You don't have to 
protect yourself. You don't have to be all about yourself anymore. You don't have to live this life of deception any longer. You're my child. The promise is what changes him. It's going to change him. Right? It's a journey. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a long road for, for Jacob. But God is changing him. That's the hope. That's the beauty of the story. And so as we look at this, let's ask some takeaways. Just three questions to apply to our heart. Because we, we don't want to just come to God's word and say, that was a good word for Jacob. But, but how do we apply it to us and say, okay, like what, what is God saying to me today? Well, the first question is this. Have you come to terms with the spiritual darkness within yourself? Right, because, because we, can, we can ignore it. We can, we can act like it's not there. We can act like it's in other people. Right, the, the, the world tells us that the problem with, problems with the world are outside of us. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible tells us that the problems of the world are inside of us. It's our own personal sin. And we have to see the spiritual darkness that lives within us first. And God had to expose that to Jacob in a way where it brought him to his lowest point. But we have to understand that that's a reality that we have to face. So that's the first question. The second one is this. Where do you believe God stands in your life? Where do you believe God stands in your life? Right, because as we think about that stairway picture, some of us can think that God's just standing at the top of the stairway. Right, God's up there. And I'm down here. And God, you can't relate to what I'm going through because you're up there. And you're God. But, but here's the beauty of, of Christianity. Is that when we look at God, we see Jesus. And Jesus didn't just say, he's not the God at the top of the stairs saying, hey, live better and do better. We can't. That's why he came down the stairs and lived the perfect life for you and me. That's the gospel, friends is that God came to us, became one of us. And so where do you believe God stands in your life? Could you believe that he could be a God that stands with you and loves you right where you're at in the midst of your struggles and pains and hardships? You know, when I I need reminders of of that. Like, you know, it's so easy to just get caught up in the day-to-day things that are going on and really not see that there is a spiritual reality. Right? What does this text tell us? That there is a spiritual reality. It says that there are angels ascending and descending, doing work all over the place. But it's so easy for me to, to forget that. And, and so one of the things that I do is I, I, I love uh, C.S. Lewis and the work of C.S. Lewis and, and the, the Chronicles of Narnia. And so I'll just sit down sometimes and it's a little weird. I, I remember I, this week I told somebody, they said, what'd you do yesterday? I said, well, I just watched Prince Caspian, you know, <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia. So like, okay, <laughs> all right. 
But it's, it's good for me to, to, to do that because, you know, Lewis was a, a Christian author and he's writing these stories really to reflect our relationship with God. And, and so you see this, this figure throughout the stories, Aslan, who is the, the Jesus figure um, throughout the stories. And in the, the story of Prince Caspian, there's, there's this, this little girl, Lucy, who, who sees Aslan, but other people don't. And so throughout the story, she's like, oh, there he is. There's Aslan. And all the older, wiser people are like, okay, yeah, where's Aslan at? I don't see Aslan. She's like, he's over there. And then he's gone. He's like, well, he was over there. And so this happens all throughout. And, and, and she gets really upset at one point. She, says, she, she looks at her sister and she says, don't look... Oh, don't talk to me like a grown-up. I didn't think I saw him. I saw him. You know, there's something really beautiful in that because the thing is, you know, Jesus says, you must come to me like a child. You must come to me like a child to see me, to really understand who I am. A childlike faith. Not a childish faith, a childlike faith. A childlike faith. And so there's this story, and, and she starts to see him all throughout, right? And so would you come to God like that? Do you believe that God stands again at the top of the stairs, shouting down at you, yelling, or do you believe that he's the God who came down the stairs and lifts up your head every day? Could you say, I saw him? Lastly, how will you respond to him? How you re respond to him. You know, at the end, Aslan does show himself. And Lucy sees him and, and she says, it's you. And she says, you're bigger. And Aslan says, that is because you are older, little one. He answered, uh, not because you are. Aslan says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Here's the thing. As you truly respond to God who he, for who he is, God will start to become bigger in your life. And what, what Jesus has done will start to become bigger in your life. It'll start to, to overtake areas of your heart and your life that you just didn't know it was all about me. And it will start to warm your heart to see who God is. You see, what happens when Jacob's truly meet the Lord? Jacob's, right? The, the ones who have heard it their whole life, but it just gets down deep and it starts to become real. Well, this all ties together, but in the New Testament, John 1, 49 through 50, there's a guy named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is really skeptical of Jesus. Nathaniel infamously says, um, what good can come from Nazareth? As he's, <laughs> as, uh, he's approached and, and invited to come meet Jesus. But he comes, skeptical and all. And here's what it says in verse 49. Nathaniel answering, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Right, Jesus comes to him and says, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree. What? 
I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree. And that was his response. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. See, and, and the question is, well, what, what did Nathaniel experience under the fig tree that made him believe so quickly after he was skeptical? He experienced what Jacob experienced, a true encounter with the Lord. God is alive. See, we don't know specifically what happened under the fig tree, but here's the thing. In many ways, a true encounter with God is unexplainable. No matter how hard you try to explain it to people, it connects with you in a way that most people might not even understand if you tried to explain it. And so Nathaniel's having one of those moments. Jacob has one of those moments that we get to read about. But here, here's, here's what we do know. Jesus said, I saw you. Verse 50. Here's the thing. Jesus seeks us before we seek him. Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? I mean, can you think, like, imagine Jesus just being like, that's what, what it took for the skeptical guy to believe now? That's all it took? Jesus doesn't make fun of him, though. He, he deals with him lovingly. And here's the thing. Jesus is not afraid of his questions and his doubts. He says, you will see greater things than these. You will see greater things than these. You got questions, you got doubts, so does Jacob. He's going to keep going on this journey here. But the message we all, we, we find here through the Bible is this, that God seeks sinful people, meets us right where we are in our skepticism, in our doubts, in our struggle. And this is, again, is the gospel. God came down. Verse 51, he says this. He says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see it? You see it? What Jesus is saying is this, that he came down the stairway because ultimately he is the stairway. He's the stairway that bridges the gap between heaven and earth. He bridges the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity. Jesus went down the stairway to pull us up from our sin. He's not a God calling from the top of the stairs saying, come to me. But he is a God who comes down the stairs and comes to us. Jesus fills the void that nothing else can fill. And here's the thing you need for your life more than anything. You need a vision of God, of God doing that for you. And I promise you it will change your life forever. It'll change you forever when you know that God has done that for you. He came down in the person of Jesus. He died for your sins and he loves you. You'll know that you're safe and secure in his arms. That's the vision you need and that's the vision I need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that Jesus is enough, the gospel is enough, and that when we see this story of Jacob, who really, in many ways, was completely undeserving, you came to him. And what that shows us is that you can come to people like us and do that same thing. And so I just pray that today, if there's anyone in here that needs an encounter with you, Lord, 
Or maybe they're just feeling that tug on their heart right now. That, Lord, they come to you and they find hope in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.